I want you to turn with me real quick to Luke chapter 24. We're going to start here and we're going to springboard forward. We're going to look at Luke chapter 24 to begin with. We're in a series called Live, and the idea is that once Jesus was resurrected, we, we get a further and maybe a little more complete idea of the life that he wants to give to us. In exchange for our lives, he wants to give us his resurrected life. And so that's what we're looking at over the next few weeks. We started last week on Easter. And the idea is that God has designed us and he has created us and he has molded and shaped us in such a way that we only truly come alive when we are in Christ Jesus. And the Bible makes that very clear. And so we're looking at some Easter passages over the next several weeks. Sort of what happened after the resurrection? What is life like? What's it supposed to be like for those who are in Jesus? What is it supposed to be like? And so we get to this passage in Luke chapter 24, which is a resurrection passage. It is an Easter sermon waiting to happen. I'm going to read it this morning and then springboard, as I said, to 1 John chapter 2. So if you want to look forward and get your place ready and be the first one to turn there, then now's the time, all right? I know how you are. Here, Luke chapter 24, the first 12 verses. Here's what it says. On the first day of the week, this is talking about Sunday, resurrection morning. Very early in the morning, they, the the followers of Jesus, came to the tomb bringing spices they prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. And here's the question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the man. He's not here, but he has been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven. Remember that Judas was no longer with the twelve. To the eleven and to all the rest, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them. How in the world this happened, they think. And they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stopped to look in, he only saw the linen cloth. So he went home amazed at what had happened. The question that, that to me is the one from the resurrection morning that resonates and echoes and haunts to some degree is this question asked by the angels to the women who arrived at the tomb looking for Jesus. They thought they were going to find a dead body. Maybe they didn't fully believe what Jesus had told them. He, he had predicted that I'm going to be delivered over. They're going to try me for blasphemy. They are going to believe that they're doing what's right and they're going to crucify me But three days later, I'm coming back to life. He told them all that. He had predicted that he would die, that he would be resurrected. But when they got to the tomb, maybe overcome in their sorrow, maybe they just couldn't quite believe that Jesus was really telling the truth. Maybe they didn't fully understand that he was God in human flesh. Maybe they didn't quite get it all. And they show up to the tomb expecting to find a dead body that they were going to try to anoint and preserve to embalm to some degree. And they show up and there are two angels there and the question then that resonates and echoes and haunts, why are you looking for the living among the dead? That's my favorite Easter question. I'll be honest with you. I wrote about it in our newsletter this month. It's my favorite Easter question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Let me ask you this. What if, 
What if you were able to fulfill every impulse that you ever had? I mean, you, you want to do something and you do it. Whatever it may be, whatever experience you'd like to have, you can do it. What if you were able to get everything that you wanted? You see it and you're able to make the purchase or to get that in your hands, to have it, whatever it may be. What if you're able to reach all of your goals? What if? What then? That's my question. What then? We're led to believe that if we were able to fulfill all of our impulses, just do whatever we want to do, if we're able to get everything that we want and we're able to reach all of our goals, we're led to believe that after that is some sort of magical feeling of being settled and satisfied. And it just automatically comes. And so we, we, we spend many, many days and years of our lives trying to, to fulfill what we want and get what we want and and achieve the things that we want to achieve, expecting that this feeling of being settled and at peace and being satisfied is just right around the corner. And if I could just do that or have that or experience this or reach that goal or whatever, then finally. But what if that doesn't happen? I mean, what if you spend your whole life chasing what turns out to be a mirage? What if you fulfill all those desires and get what you want and achieve your goals. And then that question still echoes, why have you spent your life looking for the living among the dead? What if Jesus, as he is shown to be here in the scripture, really is alive and offers you his resurrected life in exchange for all these dead pursuits? The the series idea is that over and over, Jesus told his disciples that, that he came to bring them life. He says, I've come that you may have life to the fullest. He, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'll give you living water. He said, I'm the bread of life. Jesus offers life with a capital L, and I'm convinced that so many of us are not really alive. We're sort of alive, maybe, because we have to pretend to be sometimes, but we're not truly alive. We're chasing our impulses. We're, we're trying to get more things. We're trying to achieve our goals or whatever, and yet so many of us, at whatever age, be it young or be it old or in between, are living unfulfilled. There's something missing. It's just not, this isn't it, you might say. I don't know what it is, but this ain't it. I don't know. Maybe you're like that. And so today, I just want to take a look, and we'll, we'll springboard forward, as I said, to 1 John. So if you've already turned there, now's your time. Go. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look this morning at, at three categories of dead things that we are tempted by Satan himself, tempted to buy into, tempted to chase, tempted to desire, and to go after that we think will bring us so much life. Here comes this feeling of satisfaction and peace and being settled, and yet they never deliver what they seem to promise. So go ahead and turn there, since you're already there. 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 15 to 17. Here's what it says. Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Talking about God. Love for the Father is not in him. Because everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, not from God, but is from the world. 
And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. Now, I, I learned this, these few verses when I was a kid. I, I remember these things. There's, there's a difference here between the people who love God and the people who don't. And it's what we've often seen in what we chase and what we desire and what we set our hearts on. And I'm reminded when I, when I see this and, and, and springboard out of that question of why do you seek the living among the dead, I, I'm reminded of, of way back in the 14th century in Europe. If you know anything about history, you know that was during the time of the, of the Black Plague. And, and uh, it, was, it was parodied in Monty Python's uh, Holy Grail, where they come with the card and it's, bring out your dead, bring out your dead. Maybe you've seen that before. Well, during the plague, what they would do is people who died of the plague overnight, they would have a cart that would come the next morning and you just pile up the dead bodies on top of this cart and they wheel them off so that no one else can get infected. No joke today. The goal of the sermon, honestly, is that we would repent of the dead pursuits that we have, that we would literally bring out those dead things in our lives and pile them up and let Jesus forgive us of those and send them away. For many of us this morning or for many people that you know, and maybe this is something that you take to heart or maybe it's something that God deals with you and then you're able to pass it along and help someone else, maybe today it literally is time to bring out your dead, to bring out the things that are dead in your life and to say, Lord, I'm done with these things. John makes it very clear here in in this second chapter of his first letter. He makes it very clear what these dead things are, and we'll get to those. There are three things that when we seek them on our own terms, when we're trying to find our own fulfillment to receive life and true meaning from these things, they, they only prove empty and they prove dead. Look at verse 15 again. John writes here, he says, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. Now the author is John. This is not John the Baptist. Understand John the Baptist did not write any of the books of the Bible. When we see the Gospel of John, we see 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and we see the book of Revelation. It was written by John the Apostle, one of the twelve disciples. If you remember, often in the Gospels you see Peter, James, and John. John was that guy and he wrote this particular letter. And he's writing at least in part to help people see the distinction between here's the people who love God and here's the people who don't. Here's how to know based upon what you, what you see in your life. Do you have love for, the, for God the Father or do you not? So he says, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. And he goes on. He says, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. He presents it as if there's a problem For those who cherish, those who hang on to, those who ascribe extreme value to the things of this world. Now when he says world, he's not talking about the physical earth. We understand what he's talking about is this system of thought. The thoughts, the beliefs, the actions, the the decisions, the attitudes, behaviors that God does not approve of. It's that system of belief. So when when you ever hear in church and you you hear, you know, out there in the world, that's what it's It's the worldly way of living. It's the, the, the way that God would not approve of. It's all the thoughts, behaviors, attitudes, all that goes with it. And he says, whoever loves the things of the world, whatever belongs to the world, cannot love God. Now, if you remember Jesus' words back in the Sermon on the Mount, he said you cannot love both God and money. Either you, know, you can't have two masters. You're going to serve one and hate the other. You're going to love one and, and, and then not you know, despise the other. So John is making the same point. You can't love both the world and the things of the world and God. He's making a very simple point. He says if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. There's a choice to be made today. There, there's a, an object of love and loyalty that is to be given because the truth is that you will either love God 
be devoted completely to Him, or we might say, well, I'm kind of halfway in with God. The, the, the Scripture gives us no halfway. You're either all in or you're not in at all. You're either going to love God completely, or you're going to give yourself over to the pattern of this world. It's very simple. Because only one of those can have your attention. Only one of those can influence your thoughts and your decisions. So that's the point that John is making. Look here at, verse, at the end of verse 15. He says, everything that belongs to the world. And here's where he's going to explain it. He's going to give us these three categories. Here's what's going on. Here are the three dead desires. The, the scripture tells in Luke chapter 24, why are you seeking the living among the dead? John gives us an idea of what these dead things are. The first, he says, is lust of the flesh. And there are three blanks there on your outline, and I've, I've tried to just give general categories. What are we talking about here? When he mentions lust of the flesh, essentially what he's describing are the experiences that you can have in life. These are the experiences. What he says here, lust of the flesh, these are the desires, the cravings, those, the things that we have to absolutely have in our body, the things that we're tempted to satisfy in selfish and, sin, and sinful ways. These are just our general appetites. It's what we want to experience. And in and of themselves, the desires in this category are not necessarily sinful. You understand that? I mean, take the desire to eat. Many of you have lunch plans today. And in about 25 minutes, you're going to get restless. Because you know as well as I do that Elm Grove, however many years ago, settled on 10 o'clock for the worship service because you beat everybody else to lunch. Let's be honest. You didn't find that in the Scripture. There's no chapter and verse that says you've got to meet at 10 o'clock. It just simply means we're early. And we get to laugh at everybody that lines up at noon. And There's nothing wrong with a desire to eat. That's a natural thing. We have to eat in order to survive. There's nothing wrong with a desire for, for love or for companionship or for peace in life, to experience those things. But what John is making the point here is that when those things become a lust, when they become something that we are going to satisfy no matter what we have to do in order to satisfy them, that's when we turn the corner from now meeting those needs in a God-honoring way to now doing it on our own and in a sinful way. Many of these desires, you'll notice right off the bat, would be things that God has given to us. We have this desire, as I said, for, for just meeting the, the needs of our physical body, whether it's through food or drink or whatever. But isn't it interesting how some of us have had trouble before, and maybe you're this way, I love to eat. I love it. I love food. If we go out to lunch today, we're going to go somewhere where I can get a lot of food. The problem is sometimes I begin to meet the need for food in a way that is simply now filling some void in my life, maybe. And I'm doing that through overeating. You think about those folks who seek peace in their lives. And I see so many tragic stories of people who become addicted to whatever it may be. Addictions of all different kinds whether that's addictions to, to some kind of substance or, or addiction to some kind of pornography or addiction to some kind, maybe even fitness addiction or something. We get addicted to things because we're seeking to fill some void in our life, meet some need, have some experience that brings us peace and gets us out of where we are and we become addicted to those things. 
You know, the motivation for meeting these needs, this lust of the flesh, we, we want some meaning in life. There are so many folks, I guarantee you, here today and across this county, sitting in church or sitting at home, that have no meaning in life, and we're trying all we can. I just want to, I just want to feel like life matters. I just want to feel like something I do makes some kind of difference in the world, and I want some meaning in my life. For others, you seek these things because you want an escape. I just want to get out of where I am. I just want life not to be so difficult just for a short period of time. Just give me a break. Or maybe you need a distraction. Or maybe you're an adventure and pleasure seeker and you just like to experience those things. But the truth is that apart from God's boundaries, apart from the way that God has designed you to fulfill those needs and meet those needs and have those kinds of experiences, apart from that, those things are easily destructive. We become truly thrill-seekers, people looking for an escape from the painful reality maybe that you experience in life. You're wanting a full life, whatever we think that means. And these lusts, these desires of our flesh become things that control us. And they often cause us to forget about the potential consequences. This morning, you may have some kind of desire that is controlling you. Some kind of thing that you're experiencing or wanting to experience, whatever that may be, and it has control over you, and you keep experiencing giving in to that, and you realize how dead and empty it is, but it's gotcha. What's the answer to that? When you see John and he says, look, the things that belong to the world, those are not things from God, and those who love and are attached to these things are not loving God, and the first category is lust of the flesh, what's the answer? I'll just give you a hint. The first answer on each one of these, when you say, what do I do if I'm experiencing this, if, I, if this is what has got me, the, the first answer is always going to be repent. None of this is on your outline, by the way. I know you're looking for it. The first answer is always going to be repent. Because the truth is what John says is accurate. When we're loving the things of the world, when we're pursuing those things, we're not living in God's will. And the first thing to do is to come to our senses and repent. To say, God, forgive me. I'm turning from that. When it comes to lust of the flesh, the second thing that I would encourage you to do is to fast. And I'm not just talking about food, though that may be what you need to fast from. But I want you to consider for just a second, and I mean this very seriously. Consider what it is that is controlling you right now. Whatever desire in your life is completely out of control. It's, it's on a sinful path, and you, you are caught by it. Let me encourage you, figure out a way to take a break from whatever that is. It may be literally food. I don't know. Maybe you're an overeater. It, it may be that, that uh, your, your online experience is overwhelming. I was talking with someone earlier. And we were talking about getting news from Twitter. And I don't know if you're like that at all, but I get all my news from Twitter. Every bit of it. I don't watch the news. I don't read news stories. I get 140 characters about everything. That's all I get. So I may appear that I know several things. I don't know anything, to be honest with you. But if I'm honest... That constant news cycle, that constant desire to experience knowledge and information and to be in the know, it's very controlling. Maybe one of the best things you could do this week is to say, I'm going to set that down. I'm not going to spend time in front of that. I don't know what it may be for you, but I wonder for these dead experiences that are not bringing you life, that are actually sucking the life from you, that are controlling you, What would it be like this week to set that aside and say, Lord, 
I repent of that, of seeking life from those things, and I'm taking a break. I'm going to set it down, get some accountability. And somebody say, look, don't do that anymore. Replace the time spent with all of that with time spent with the one who can truly bring you life. John brings us to a second dead desire to be dumped on this pile, bring out your dead. He says, lust of the flesh. Then he says, lust of the eyes. The, the things that we desire, we first encounter by seeing with our eyes, for the most part. Things enter our mind through our eyes. John's referring here to the things that we see and immediately we want to have them. It goes hand in hand with the desires of the flesh, of course, because this is how they're introduced. The truth is, and, and we all know this, that sin is very attractive. So what we're talking about here are not experiences we want to have, but they're the attractions that we see. We're whatever we're attracted to. And I'm not just talking about a person. I'm talking about things. Could be a person. But what are we attracted to? Our, our attractions. The lust of our eyes, all about what we want to see or want to, want to have, want to feel, whatever. I want you to think about advertising for just a second. I, I did some, some short homework on this this week. The average person, studies will tell you, watch, uh, watches about five hours of television each day. Now some of you, you, know, you cringe at that, but that's the average. Which means some people watch a lot more because some people watch a lot less. So it's somewhere in the middle, about five hours a day. For every hour of television, there's about 15 minutes of commercials, give or take. Depends upon which network you're watching, whatever. Some have more, some have less, but about 15. Over a year's time, and I'm, I'm no math major, I majored in history because math was too hard. But I'm no math major, but I, I believe that averages out to somewhere around 25,000 minutes or more of advertising that you see just on television if you are an average person watching the average amount of television each day. Over 25,000 minutes of advertising. It's always in front of us. We're always shown the things that we should desire. I mean, that's what advertising is all about. Listen, if you're in advertising, got nothing against you. Nothing at all. Because if I were in advertising, I'd try to do the same thing, to convince everybody that what you have is not good enough and not new enough and you need to replace it right now, like yesterday. Go get it. Now. Because everybody else has one and you're rotten and awful and terrible and, and you're pathetic if you don't. I mean, that's, isn't that the core of advertising? I'd do the same thing if I were advertising. But that's the idea. It's always in front of us. What we don't have and what we should have, something newer and better than what we currently have. And it's constantly in front of us. Isn't it fun, parents, around Christmas time? When the Christmas list is dictated by whatever commercial was on just now. Whatever that was. And so you get to Christmas and you've got all these neat things for the kids. And yet on Christmas Eve, there's another commercial. And Walmart's out of that. And so Christmas Day, kids are devastated. They didn't get what they wanted because they saw that on Christmas Eve. The problem is that most of us are just grown-up kids, aren't we? We see something, whatever it's advertised, and we want those things. It's always in front of us. It's never-ending. And the problem is, when we are dictated by the lust of our eyes, by our attractions, it makes us greedy. A constant desire for stuff. It makes us stingy. 
maybe even causes some of us to be hoarders. It makes us selfish instead of generous. It makes us envious of the things that we don't have and the people that have those things. It can even make us lazy, feeling like the world just owes us something for showing up. The problem is that the lust of our eyes ascribes a value to something that is far different from the value that God gives it. You understand, of course, that the value that the world places on certain things and stuff and whatever is not exactly the same value that God places on it. But we're bombarded and our lust in our eyes gives us over to ascribing value to things with no regard for what God has to say about it. What then is the solution? As I told you, first in every one of these is to repent. The truth is, many of us today, based upon having grown up here in American society, we have become very materialistic and we don't even know it. And maybe you say, you know what, if I'm honest, I, I am controlled by what I want. By what I want to have. I mean, I've got to have the next newest thing. And if, if, when it comes out, I go get it every single time. And maybe it's because I, I just like having new stuff, or maybe I'm ascribing some value to that that God doesn't buy into. The first thing is always going to be to, to repent and say, God, I'm sorry, I'm done with that, I'm turning from that. And let me encourage you on this one. If the attractions that you see, if what you desire is controlling you, let me encourage you this week to not only repent, but to give. You want to break the cycle of what's attracting you, of materialism, anything like that. You want to break that cycle, there's one way to do it. There's one way to do it. It's not by, uh, I'm not going to buy anything this week. No, it's by giving. We're not going to take another offering this morning. That's not what I'm talking about. But I sincerely mean that if you want to drive a stake in your life and say, I am done with this dead desire to have more stuff, I'm done with that, start giving stuff away. I'm not even sure where, you know, where that would be for you. Maybe it would be here at church. Maybe it would be to, to an organization that's helping people, or taking the gospel around the world, or maybe it's a person in need that you're aware of, and you'd give stuff or you'd give money. Let me tell you, the attractions in our life are going to control you. They're going to they're wind up making you empty and greedy and selfish if we don't break the cycle by giving. John leads us to a third one. Lust of the flesh... Lust of the eyes, we're talking about experiences and attractions. And he says the pride in one's lifestyle. He's talking here about our status. Now so far, you may think this is just for young people. And you're a person who say is in midlife or older and maybe you're retired and you know, okay, I mean the experiences I want to have, it's not that big a deal anymore. I'm not a thrill seeker. You know, and I don't really, advertising doesn't have that much effect on me. I'm not really controlled by what I see. But this is where the rest of us come into play. He says the pride in one's lifestyle, what he's talking about is look at what I have. Some of your versions may say the pride in one's lifestyle possessions, what, it, what you have. Look at what I have, you might say, and subtly believing that says something about who I am. Check out what I do for a living, which says something about what I know and how successful I am. Look at all that I've accomplished, which speaks volumes about how great I am. Look at how many people I'm connected to friendships or online or wherever, which, which says something about how important I am to this world. Status is very, very seductive. Most of us would not claim that we buy into this. 
But I'll be honest with you, I think of all three, this one catches every person that hears it. It catches every single one of us, young, old, in between. We easily come to believe that we are what we have, that we are what we do for a living, that we are what we accomplish, that we are what we know. And all of that in our minds helps to justify our existence. It helps to to give us some feeling of worth, to prove that we matter. The motivation, we're looking for attention. All of us are. We're looking to matter. We're looking for some higher position or some influence or some authority or some identity that we don't currently feel or we're looking for appreciation or whatever it may be. And the world offers a particular way to achieve all of that. It says keep climbing higher, get more and more and more, accumulate stuff, step on people, whatever you have to do, compete, all of that, get to the top, and then finally you'll be worth something or you'll prove you're worth something. We're told who we need to be, what we need to do, the things that we need to have in order to get that attention and that position and authority and identity and appreciation that we so often crave. And the result, and this is why I say it's not just for young people, because the result, as I look around this room, I don't know all the stories, and I've had no one admit this to me personally, but I guarantee you in a crowd this size, There's someone who is on the backside of life, if you will. You're over halfway done. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you've done all of your working life and you're staring down the road that now you know you have fewer years to live than you've already lived. And that includes quite a few of us here. And all you've done your whole life, and you wouldn't admit this maybe publicly, but you've sought attention and position and authority and identity and appreciation. You've sought some status. You've gone after that. Look at what I have. Look at what I know. Look at what I do for a living. Look at me. And you wake up and you realize that you've accomplished everything you ever set out to do and you have nothing to show for it. Nothing. You're empty. And you feel dead inside. And you look back and say, you know, I accomplished all these things. I set all kinds of goals and I experienced everything that I ever wanted to. And I feel like a very successful bum. I realize now it was all empty and dead. The solution, as I've mentioned for each one, is first here to repent. God never designed us to pursue status to look at what we have and what we do and what we know and equate that with value in our lives. The reason we have any value whatsoever is first because God created us and second because he loved us enough to die for us. That's how we have value. It's given to us. It's not earned by us. It's given. It's ascribed to us. That's how we have value. So first we repent and say, Lord, I've been seeking status all apart from you, and I only want status in Jesus Christ based upon the fact that you love me and gave yourself up for me. That's the only status that I want is to be a child of God. Secondly, let me encourage you this week. If status is something that is really a struggle for you, and you find yourself competing in this world, and you find yourself going after all these things to to prove who you are and how important you are and to get a recognition, appreciation, let me encourage you this week to humble yourself in prayer. Start there. I'm not saying you need to go quit your job. You need to sell everything you have. If God leads you that direction, then by all means do it. But let me just encourage you this week. Start by humbling yourself in prayer, recognizing who truly is the one who has status. And from there, 
begin to live out the status that God has given you as a child of God. The angel asked the question, why do you seek the living among the dead? John gives us these three general categories, these experiences that we can have that still leave us empty, these attractions that we, we can gain all of this stuff and still leave us dead and empty, these, this status that we can have and still leaves us dead and empty. What's the problem with all of that? John gives us the answer at the end of verse 16 and through 17. Look at it quickly. He says, verse 16, The things that belong to the world, this lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride in one's lifestyle, is not from the Father. These things are not from God, he says. This is not what God has for you. To just pursue more experiences and attractions and status. That's not what he wants for you. He says it's from the world. They're outside the boundaries that God has set. God has so much more for you if you live inside of His will. And he says in verse 17, The world with its lust is passing away. It's dead. But the one who does God's will remains forever. We learn in the Scripture that God's will is for us to believe in the one that He has sent. That is Jesus Christ. That's God's will for your life. We spend so many hours and days and weeks and years. What is God's will for my life to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Plain and simple. Everything else is gravy after that. John tells us that what the world offers, because its lust is passing away, what the world offers is dead and empty, and he encourages us essentially to bring out your dead, pile it up, send it away by the blood of Jesus, and begin to live. We go back to verse 15. John says, Do not love the, the world or the things that belong to the world. Because whoever loves the world cannot have love for God. Maybe this morning it's time for us to simply repent. Sermons about repentance are not real popular, I'll be honest with you. We like to hear sermons that make us feel good. This maybe is not a feel-good sermon because it hits us between the eyes in some cases. But the call this morning is to repent. To repent of the dead things that we've been pursuing. And maybe this morning you'd join me in making a new declaration. Based upon what the angel asked the women when they came. Maybe your new declaration this morning to the Lord and to yourself would be, Lord, I'm done seeking life among the dead. I told you from the very beginning, I'm convinced that so few of us, even as we proclaim faith in Jesus Christ, so few of us are truly living. And that's the whole idea behind this series, is that we would understand the life that God has for us. And I think that it begins with a new declaration. Lord, I, I'm I'm done. I'm done seeking life among what cannot give me life. I'm done seeking life among the dead. Lord, I am, I'm done with that. I repent. I'm turning to you. And I want life from you. As I mentioned, maybe this week you find those experiences that are controlling you, those desires, I want to have this, I want to experience this, that status, whatever. Maybe this week it's time to fast from something. Maybe it's time to give something. Maybe it's time to spend time in prayer before the Lord. And I hope all that is based on the declaration, Lord, I'm done seeking life among the dead. Jesus himself said it, as I mentioned earlier, he came to give us life to the fullest. That's received by faith in Him. 
Faith that He is the Son of God, that He died for our sins, that we actually needed someone to die for our sins, that apart from Him we stand under the judgment of God and have no remedy for that. And so maybe this morning, there in your pew, or maybe you'd like to come and make a public profession to say this morning I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ, or I'm just making, I just want to let you folks know I need your prayer, but I'm making a declaration. I'm done seeking life among the dead. It's time for us, as the title of the sermon says, to get out of the graveyard and to seek life where it may be truly found, and that is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. This morning as we close, I I really do hope that you'll spend a few moments just asking the Lord, what what is it, God, that you're saying to me today? Is there a dead pursuit in my life? Am I going after things that, that can never bring me life? Lord, do I need to repent? And God, if I do, then I, I repent right now. Maybe this morning you, your response would be prayer just right there. Maybe it would be in just a few moments that, that maybe for the very first time you, you need to make a public profession of faith to say, look, I, I am deciding to follow Jesus. I've made that decision and I want you folks to know. The truth is, Jesus died publicly on a cross. Christianity, yes, is a, is a very personal thing, but never meant to be private. Maybe it's a public profession of faith. Maybe it's to come and ask for prayer or to come with somebody and pray with them or to spend time on your knees before the Lord, humbled in prayer. However it is that God calls you to respond this morning, please do that not for my sake, but for yours and for the glory of God. Lord, this morning, we turn from those dead desires, those things we want to experience, the attractions that we see and want to have, and the status that we so often pursue. Lord, we turn from those and we we ask your forgiveness as we repent of those, Lord, young and old and in between. Show us what life truly is in Jesus Christ. For those, Lord, who need to fast and take a break from something this week that is controlling them, Lord, I pray that tomorrow you'd remind them. For those that need to give and break the cycle of those attractions, help us to do it without hesitation. Lord, for those of us who may struggle with our status and wanting more and wanting to be more important, Lord, we humble ourselves this morning in prayer. You're the only one whose status matters. You're the only one who truly has status. Help us, Lord, to remember that, to live it out. Thank you for the truth of your word. Help us to apply it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. You respond as God calls you.